0: Welcome back to Half the Battle. I'm your host, as always, Daniel Levy, your guest co host. Big Marley 3, Kyle Marley, the multiple times DraftKings qualifier, longtime friend of the show. And Kyle, it's going down this Saturday night live at the T Mobile Arena in Las Vegas, Nevada. We got the Welterweight Belt on the line leon edwards looking to defend it against colby covington got the flyweight belt on the line two of the most exciting flyweights in the history of the sport alexandre pantoja and brandon Royval, gonna uh gonna do battle and then Shavcat Rakhmonov versus Steven wonderboy tony ferguson versus patty pimblett vicente Luque versus ian machado gary and that's just the main car the prelims are stacked too the ufc is going out on a bang and kyle marley I cannot wait to break down this card and to watch it Saturday,
1: too. Hell, yeah, and hopefully win some money on it as well. Thanks for having me on. Always good to talk fights with you. It's always uh, like bittersweet going into this last card of the year, knowing we have basically our off season, a three-week break coming up. The first week and a half or so is cool, but, man, that that last week that we have off is always just itching to get back. So hopefully we check out our betting records, see how we did over the year, figure out how to get better. Uh, but let's go out on a bang. Absolutely.
0: You know, this year wasn't my year, but I'll tell you what, man, uh, I'm approaching the 10 year sample size. So not every year is going to be your year. I'm not discouraged by it. I'm just motivated, you know, to get a nice little break and then come back refreshed in 2024. But that's neither here nor there. Let's get down to business and make this last one count and go out on a bang, like you said, because in the main event, we got the champ Leon Edwards. He's 21 and three taking on the former interim champ Colby Covington, who's 17 and three. And currently, Kyle, they got Leon Edwards, a minus 155 favorite, with the comeback on Colby Covington at plus 135. And listen, I haven't heard too many breakdowns, but I, I assume I can, you know, guess what people are saying that, oh, if this goes to the ground, Colby's going to win. If this stays standing, Leon's going to win. I just don't think it's that simple. I'll tell you why. Because at distance, I think Leon's going to mess up Colby Covington. That's established. But you know, in the clinch against the fence, that's standing too. That's not on the ground. And that's a place where, okay, it sounds like I think Colby might have a lot of, you know, success there with his relentless pressure. The fact that he's one of those guys, you might stuff the first eight takedowns. And guess what, Kyle? The ninth, tenth, and eleventh are coming right after that. But one thing I saw from Leon in that third Kamaru fight was, uptight in the clinch, he was landing nice knees. He was landing nice elbows. He found those close-range strikes, and I think those are going to be massive here for Leon against Colby to just make him pay a little bit for things, knee him in the rib, elbow him in the face, cut him up a little bit up close because, listen, Colby might be a big mouth, but Colby knows how to fight. And I know for a fact Colby's not going to strike at distance and, and try to have a pretty, you know... uh <laughs> kickboxing match with a guy like leon there's no way in hell right so in the instances that it is at distance that's where i do think leon can have big success but my my big question here kyle is when he's getting pushed up against the fence because we know he will be getting pushed up against the fence in this fight What's going to happen there? Is it going to be a case where, you know, Colby gets him down a bunch, Leon starts getting back up, and then eventually by that ninth, 10th takedown, that's where Leon finally succumbs a bit of top uh, control to Colby? Or is it a case where Leon is going to use Colby's game plan against him, make him pay in that clinch, like I said, the knees, the elbows, those close-range strikes, and actually make Colby regret shooting for uh, takedowns relentlessly?
1: Yeah, I mean, if he's making Colby regret shooting takedowns, it's going to be a bad fight for Colby, I would think. Uh, I mean, Leon's just a more technical striker, got the way better boxing, better kicks. He's going to be the one landing the harder shots throughout the fight. But man, if this is a just pure 15 minute striking match, I still love
0: 25.
1: Sorry, 25 minute striking match. I still love the work rate from Colby. I think he could still beat him on volume, even though it still might be rounds to Leon just by landing the damage. But I just don't give a complete striking match all the way to Edwards, but it is the takedowns that makes Colby really my my preferred play in this fight. I just think that his work rate, whether it's on the feet or landing four plus takedowns per 15 minutes, I just think he can make this a dirtier fight and any dirty close fight. I already don't trust the judges already, so give me the underdog there, but I just think what we saw from Usman beating Edwards, Colby can do the same thing. And then in the last Edwards-Usman fight, I mean, how much was it Usman declining and him having bad knees? I thought that also the judges were kind of giving rounds to Edwards because he was stuffing takedowns. It was like, oh, he stuffed that takedown, points to Edwards there. Um, And I just don't know that he's going to have as much success against Colby. And I also think Colby won't give up as easy. He's going to keep shooting. He, He can shoot 20 plus takedowns. In this fight and those are the kind of guys that i like to back especially at plus money so i'm gonna be on the underdog in this one i was on usman against edwards last time and i paid both times uh but i'm going going back to the well i will pick against edwards in this one give me colby to win three or four uh rounds on the scorecards
0: i mean i'd be happy if it happened not because i got anything against leon at all i think he's a great champion but the kind of trash talk that colby and bilal would talk in the lead up to their fight because you got you know america's you know trump's favorite fighter quote unquote versus you know uh you know uh bilal's roots right dude that lead up i'm telling you it would be one of the biggest trash talk filled build build buildups to a fight and I'm bummed we never got to see uh Addis Anya versus Duplacy because I felt like that was gonna be a really heated rivalry as well. But man, I'm telling you, if Kobe can beat Leon, him and Bilal, like you, you people might say Bilal's boring or Kobe's boring, but I'm telling you, those two in the pre-fight, they yeah, go well, after you. it in a way where they might have to get the security in between them, but let's not, let's not, you know, foreshadow too much because Colby's still got to get past Leon. And I think Leon's a tough task. And I really think that Leon's been improving. It, it, it's just, it, it comes down to a few things because in that second fight between Leo, Leon and Kamaru, How much emphasis do we put on the fact that it was an elevation? Because you saw a significant difference in the second and third fights about how Leon approached the later rounds, about how Leon managed his conditioning, his pacing. And you could see in that first, in that second fight, you know, the one where he landed the head kick, he was dead tired at points in that fight. And against a guy like Colby, the last place you want to be is dead tired. At the same time, the adjustments he made in the subsequent fight, plus it not being an elevation, I feel like we can see more of that version, you know, a bit more composed than what we saw in Salt Lake City the second time, Kyle.
1: Yeah, I I think that's true as well. But I would still have to give the cardio edge to Covington. And it's just the the fact that he is a guy that's nonstop, even though he won't let him stop on the feet. If he's failing his first five takedowns, like you mentioned, he's still going to be going for six, seven. I think eventually he will get him to the ground. How much can he control him? I'm not sure, but. At plus 130, plus 140, I think that it's it's worth the chance.
0: Yeah, no, I'm not talking you off of it at all, and I don't have a bet on this fight or a strong lean, but I am going to go on the opposite side um, because, like, for example, you look at that Jorge Masvidal versus Colby fight, right? And, I mean, we all remember the domination that Colby put on him, but a lot of people don't mention how, I believe it was round four maybe, where um, Jorge dropped him to one knee with a nice counter shot. Now, uh. I said Jorge dropped Colby. That's what I meant to say. Jorge was so fatigued from the insane pace that Colby was pushing on him that Jorge couldn't capitalize. What I'm wondering is a bit fresher Leon, you know, not in his retirement fight, a guy like that, he gets Colby in that same precarious spot, hurts a guy like him. Can he put on the finishing touches and get and go on and uh, get him out of there?
1: Shit. That shot that Jorge landed on Covington, I can't believe he didn't go out as it was. I remember having money on Covington. And I was like, oh, there, there it goes. We're winning the whole fight, and now I just lost. But, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know that Edwards has more one-shot power than Jorge does, so I don't even know if he can land that unless, I mean, I guess a kick definitely could. But I just think he's the much better point fighter, keep the fight at range. I don't really see him knocking Covington out. But I guess if there is a knockout in this fight, it is going to be Edwards knocking Cubs out.
0: You know, it's not the power because you're right. I, I don't view Leon as this, you know, Enganu or or Jamal Hill, like one touch, you know, going to sleep type stuff. Don't get me wrong. A head kick to the chin. It doesn't matter who you are, but he's very precise. He's very accurate. You remember the Conor McGregor quotes about it's been a while. What timing beats speed and precision beats power. Those kind of things can apply to a guy like Leon Edwards. If he finds the mark, it doesn't matter that, you know, he doesn't hit as hard as say whoever the, whoever you consider to be the hardest hitter in the welterweight division. Right.
1: True. Yeah. I mean, connect clean. He he could definitely go down. And if he is fresh, if he, if he, sorry, if he connects clean, he probably will have enough left to put him, put him away. But I, I just can't believe the damage that Covington has taken in a few fights. It just, Makes it hard to believe that he would go out to a guy like Leon Edwards. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, Colby's a dog.
0: One thing about him is while he is conscious, while he is still breathing, while he is still awake, he is going to be going for it. And that's what, you know, as someone like you who's betting him at at the dog price, that's what you want. You want a guy that's going to go out there, that's going to be relentless, that's going to try his best, that is going to be nonstop uh, going for it. That's exactly what you want. So to me, it comes back to the initial point I made. I'm very uh, curious about what happens um, in the clinch because, again, the whole narrative about, oh, Colby on the ground, Leon standing. Okay, but I want to know what happens standing in the clinch. Is it a matter of – Colby wearing him down, or is it a matter? Are there gonna be some sneaky elbows? Are there gonna be some sneaky knees that discourage Colby a bit? And if you discourage Colby, all of a sudden you're at distance, that's where Leon wants to play his game. So I think this is an amazing fight. Um, in terms of just the the stylistic matchup, how high caliber these two guys are, the future of the welterweight division, such high stakes. So I'm going Leon, you're going Colby, and may the best man win. But props to Kyle because he's the one with money. Uh, He put his money where his mouth is on this one. So may the best man win, man. Uh, Let's see what happens. Let's go, Kobe. (laughs) So co-main event of the evening, we got the flyweight belt. So people are saying we need a Jamal Hill ticker on the screen to count. uh, The the stream mentions Dan loves Jamal. Uh, Do you guys love money? Do you guys love record breakers? Do you guys like violence? Because I do. You know, so you're not going to see me praising some crotch sniffer. You're going to see me praising guys that break records for significant strike records. You're going to you see me guys praising guys that go out there and put on the kind of devastating knockouts we like to see. And this guy's not even 10 fights into his UFC career. And that's the kind of stuff he's on right now. And he's about to become a two-time champ. So hell yeah, I talk about Jamal Hill every fight. I mean, it's a betting show. I love Jamal. I love money. I hope you guys too, do too. Now, co main event of the evening, we got Alexandria Pantoja, the flyweight champ. He's 26 and 5. He's putting his belt on the line against the electric, the dynamic, the flashy Brandon Roy who's 15 and 6. Currently, they got it. Alexandria Pantoja minus 190. The comeback on Roy is plus 160. So just right away, these have got to be two of the most exciting flyweights. In the history of the sport, and to take it a step further, usually when you think of exciting guys, right? Like back in the day, remember Leonard Garcia? How you would always put on a fight of the night; it'd always be a brawl. They let him lose like five or six fights in a row because that's how exciting a guy like that was. But no disrespect to to Leonard, but Leonard was never gonna, you know fight for a belt or or anything like that right whereas pantoja and royval they bring the kind of violence that we like they bring the kind of excitement and they're the two best guys on the planet you don't often see that kind of dynamic kyle marley so right off the bat this is a must watch fight like for example if i have a friend who's never seen the sport and you have to tell them hey do you want to watch leon and colby or do you want to watch pantoja and royval i'm telling them pantoja and royval for us who, you know, know every single fighter on the roster, this and that. Yeah, you know, Colby and Leon's very intriguing. But for someone who's never watched the sport, there might be a lot of clinching. They might not be into it. But I'm telling you right now, when Pantoja and Roy Valgo at it, I mean, this might be the prelude to World War III.
1: <laughs> yeah, this is going to be a fun fight. I was watching their first fight uh, like a couple hours ago today, and – Just the scrambles in that fight were hard to keep up with, man. I would have been gassed after two minutes for sure. Um, But these guys just went hard the whole time. I think even a striking match between the two would be quite the same, just nonstop action. And my question is if Roy Val can do five rounds of a high-paced striking match. I I think he looked pretty fresh uh, until he got put away in the second round in that last fight. But he's never even – I mean, he's been to the third round once in the UFC – that was a super close fight that could have gone either way. And then if you get put in the championship rounds against Pantoja, who's been there, done that. And they say, like, when you become the champion, you become 30 percent better. It kind of looked like that with Leon Edwards in his last fight. Uh, so, I mean, I already favored Pantoja, but now as the champion with five rounds to work with, I just think he's a better fighter everywhere. I like him to be the better striker through the course of five rounds. Maybe the first round or two will be a little rough because I think Roy Val is dangerous and he's really good at range as well. But I, I give Pantoja the wrestling edge as well. I do think he's ultimately the better grappler. So it's hard for me to pick Roy Val in a five round fight when I just haven't seen that from him. Uh, so I'm going to go with Pantoja in this one. Uh, I probably puts him away at some point, but it would be fun to see five rounds between these two
0: absolutely and i'm on the same side as you on this one and more so from the technical aspect but here's my thing sometimes with these title fights um and i know this sounds kind of narrative and maybe a little bit out there kind of talk but sometimes i don't like to get in the way of destiny and sometimes certain guys will not be denied on certain nights like we could break down back in the day remember bisbing and Rockle the second time and Rockle was minus 800 and you can give me any breakdown on that fight and when it comes from the technical standpoint, you're picking rock hole all day, right? But oh yeah, it, it was just bisbing was not was simply not going to be denied on the night, and there's many examples of that where these guys just rise to the occasion and it's their night, like Alexa Grasso just wasn't gonna be denied uh, denied the first time she fought Valentina, and I can name many more examples like that. So, is it a case where Roy Valls paid his dues and now he's ready to come out here and achieve a lifelong dream? Because look i love brandon royval how can you not as far as watching him as a fan i mean the guy he had this one fight in lfa and it was like a 25 second fight where he literally just ran at the guy flying need him and then had just this insane it was against this dude named nate williams not not uh my boy nate williams it was uh i think teddy bear nate yeah teddy bear nate williams and dude he just runs at him flying knees him and then he like submits him uh with an arm bar in like 23 seconds. And that that was like the first time. I think that was like the first or second time I ever saw Roy Vall. But listen, Roy Vall's been exposed in title fights before. You remember his Casey Kenny fight in LFA, where Casey Kenny, anytime he wanted a takedown, he got that fucking takedown. And that's one thing about Roy Vall. He's so confident in his scrambling ability and in his jujitsu that he'll give up those takedowns. He will go for high risk moves. Like in that Kai France fight, he gets dropped, then immediately goes for that spin. And then he drops Kai Car France, so it's absolute chaos from a guy like Roy Val, and that's what the fans love to see. But with Pantoja, man, is Jiu Jitsu is elite. This is a guy that when he takes your back, chances are not only is he going to stay on your back the duration of the round, but he might also choke you out, like he not just did to uh, Roy Val the last time he he fought him, but to many other people along the way. And when you talk about toughness. Uh, Pantoja has toughness in spades. You watch his fight against Davis and Davison's dropping him all over the place. Davidson's the hardest hitter in flyaway history. And Pantoja is still walking forward the, the entire time. Pantoja gets criticized because, um, He might gas out in fights or this or that, but he pushes through fatigue. You got to understand he's not gassing because he's not running his miles. He's not putting in his work. He's gassing because the guy goes balls to the wall. We're going to talk about his training partner and my friend Cody Durden here in a few fights. Similar thing. When these guys go balls to the wall, it is what it is. Like, you got to understand the fact that it's not about him not training this aspect or that aspect. It's just that when you go balls to the wall, you're going to leave openings. And as a result... You might get caught or you might fatigue. So that's just something you have to accept. But man, I really think when Pantoja gets the back of uh of Roy Vall, he might be able to finish the fight or at least ride out rounds that way. But I expect chaos, I expect fight of the night. And if this is simply Roy Val's time, then I accept it. But I'm gonna go with Pantoja here and still the flyaway champion of the world. And Manel Cap, I'm calling it right now, is getting that belt next year, y'all. <laughs> now featured bout in the welterweight division we got shavkat Rachmanov. he's 17 and 0 with 17 finishes kyle marley he's taking on steven wonderboy thompson who is 17 6 and 1 Currently, they got it. Shavkat Rachmanov minus 650. The comeback on Wonderboy Thompson is plus 475. So, Wonderboy publicly said he didn't want this fight for the longest time. He just wants to fight against strikers. But then he changed his tune a little bit and said, Well, actually, I want to fight for the belt before it's all said and done again. So, okay, well, you didn't take the Michelle Pereira fight because he missed weight. That's not your fault. That's Michelle Pereira's fault. But We were really looking forward to that fight. Okay, (laughs) here's Shafkat Rachmanov. You want your title fight? Here's Shafkat. Let's see what you got. I think that, listen, obviously, if Shafkat wants to make this easy, one takedown, and the fight might not be over shortly after, but the damage that he's going to land on that one takedown will make at least, like, if, if Wonderboy survives a decision, the fight might be over in the first round in the sense that the damage he takes is so much that He's just a sitting duck the next two rounds. But don't write off the possibility of Shafkat finishing him, too. And to take it a step further, Shafkat can get it done on the feet as well. Now, I know there were fights on the regional scene where Shafkat did get wobbled. But to his credit, he came back and finished those fights. So the guy is not just, you know, a good um, hammer. He's a fantastic nail, too. Thompson has a lot of underrated toughness, especially for someone who's got that nice guy persona. Don't let that fool you. He can get very vicious in there, but he can also frustrate me in times. Like, for example, that Patrick Cote fight, I think I bet Wonderboy inside the distance. He drops him with a devastating shot. Instead of finishing the fight, helps him back up, gives him a high five and a hug, right? And he's done that in multiple fights, the Luque fight, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So... The, the thing about that is, you know, I question the killer instinct, but I don't question how dynamic the strikes are for Wonderboy. You watch that Kevin Holland fight, and I cons- I consider that to be the 2022 uh, performance of the year. I thought that was an incredible performance. Some of those kicks, I was like, God damn. But I just think that shaftcat has got the goods everywhere. If just in case it's not going his way on the feet standing, he's going to get it to the ground easily. He's not going to pull a Kevin Holland and help him back up. He's going to finish this guy. He's going to make a statement, and I think this is the last time we see Wonderboy Thompson inside the UFC's octagon. Much respect. You've been a badass. We've enjoyed watching your fights, but, you know, circle of life. It is what it is. Shafkat Rachmanov and Bilal Muhammad, they're on that collision course, and one of them is going to be the UFC welterweight champion this time next year.
1: Yeah, I like it. I mean, Wonderboy has to get this fight as a complete striking match for him to have any chance. I think it would be a fun striking match, but I don't know that he is guaranteed to be the better striker. And I would say that Shavkat's going to be more dangerous. But if it, like you mentioned, if it isn't going his way on the feet, Shavkat get a takedown, then it's your world. Uh, So it's going to, there's just so many more ways for Shavkat to win this fight. Just don't go in there and fight at range against Wonder Boy, and, and it should be okay. Uh, I, I'm not going to lay, you know, six to one, but I think it's a pretty safe win. Give me Shavkat to get a finish at some point. I'd rather just take my chances on ITD or something like that.
0: All uh. right let's see next up in the lightweight division we got tony ferguson he's 25 and 9 taking on patty the batty pimblet who's 20 and 3 currently they got it patty patty the batty minus 295 the comeback on tony el kukui ferguson is plus 235 uh kyle go ahead take this one first um You know what the deal is, but I'm curious if uh, you're letting any nostalgia hold you back from reality here.
1: No, I mean, I I wanted to. When this fight was announced, I was like, damn, Ferguson at like three to one odds. If he can keep this standing, he's a better striker. He's going to be higher volume. He's dangerous. He's got good grappling, too. But then, like, just going back and watching the film, it's like, God, man, this guy is really falling off. And he's just looking slow, sloppy, telegraphed. Uh, I just don't even know that he can win a striking match against Patty at this point. And if he gets put on his back against Patty, I think it's just a matter of time that he's gonna get finished. See, so yeah, I just think it's this is a fight that the UFC wants Patty to win. And when I think the the UFC has a motive, it's hard to go against it. Uh, give me Patty to finish Tony at some point. But yeah, I mean, I'm not again, I'm not gonna lay four to one on Patty but I, I do think it's a but... safe win three to one. Yeah. I mean, I think it's a pretty safe win. It's just that Ferguson has fallen off so much. If this was four years ago, Ferguson's a big favorite in this one. Um, and this is the fight that we all want to fade Patty with, but that's just not the case. There is no turning back time like that. Uh, Patty's going to finish him. I think at some point.
0: Yeah. I know people are rooting for Tony Ferguson a lot here just because, you know, the nostalgia, the guy was, Man. So now people are calling him overrated. I don't think he was overrated because when I went back and watched his old fights, the guy was like the boogeyman in the division. And the thing that people need to understand is that what made him great was his unbelievable durability, his toughness. Like you used to be able to hit this guy with the kitchen sink. He'd be cut up bleeding and he'd still be coming after you and then he'd be so unorthodox with his elbows he'd be going for fucking imminari roles which we are we frown upon but not with tony ferguson he would make it work and he beat some real guys he beat all the best guys of that era the rda's the the donald cerrone's the anthony pettis's you know all, all those all those guys from that era he were you about to say something kyle
1: not just pepe's comment does he get a title shot with a win
0: (laughs) (laughs) I, i love i love pepe uh no i mean i'm not gonna be the guy that discredits what tony accomplished up until this point but what you gotta understand is tony is completely washed up and yes is this a step down in competition from the guys he's been fighting sure but who cares man when you're washed up you lose the guys that you would have beat at one point. That's just how it works. Like you think Rich Franklin? Now, Rich Franklin is a former UFC champion, so I'm not comparing Rich Franklin to to uh, Patty the Batty. Please do not take that the wrong way. But what I'm what I'm going to say is, do you think Rich Franklin would have beat Chuck Liddell in Chuck's prime? Fuck no, dude. And and at the end of Chuck's prime, Rich is knocking him out in the first round. Like what I'm trying to say here is that. Tony is washed to a point where even a guy like Patty, where, listen, Patty's got a lot of holes in this game. He's very tough, though. I love his toughness. I like his back takes. I like his experience. I like his confidence, and I like his willingness to fight, but I don't like the fact that he fights with his chin straight up in the air. I don't like his striking defense. His takedown defense isn't the best either, but he's a very tough guy, and how much younger is he than uh, Tony Elkukui? It's got to be, what, 10 years, something among those lines. Let me look it up real quick just to be sure. Uh, okay, uh, eleven years. Yeah, you see what I'm saying? It's just a different era of the sport now. And honestly, man, I know people are rooting for Tony, but I think Patty's a cooler guy than Tony. And I know that might <laughs> sa- I know that might sound like people are gonna not like that, but let me say something. When you watch the countdown video. Patty was, like, there with, like, you know, walking up to, like, the the fans in, like, wheelchairs and just being, like, so nice to them and seemed like a genuinely good-hearted guy, whereas Tony in his prime, like, didn't his family have to separate him? The guy was finding ghosts in his house, like... Patty seems like a cooler guy to me. Like I get Tony's a legend, but I don't give a shit. Like if you ask me who I'd rather hang out with, I would <laughs> much rather hang out with Patty. The Batty. Who would you rather smoke a joint with? I'd rather smoke a blunt with, uh with Patty, the Batty all day over Tony Ferguson. Now
1: Nate Diaz is a uh, yeah. different story, but <laughs> for sure. I mean, I actually didn't even like Tony back in the day because when he was on tough, he was like uh talking shit to that guy. He's like, where's your kid at? Where's your kid at? Cause he hadn't seen him in years. So I was like, man, fuck this guy. Uh And then, I mean, he goes on to be, super great in the ufc to kind of change my mind but yeah you're right i would rather hang out with patty for sure
0: yeah so i'm rooting for patty um these things don't get better these things get worse and you know it's back to remember when bj penn was on that big run right on that big i say big run the big losing streak right where all of a sudden like do you think dennis Seaver would have beat bj penn and bj Penn's from do you think clay guida would have beat you see what i'm saying so all, all these guys who are nowhere near as low oh and let's talk about one other thing because people keep bringing up oh patty he had the biggest robbery of the year against jared gordon I don't give a fuck. Jared Gordon would beat Tony Ferguson. So what difference does that make? Like I would max bet Jared Gordon against Tony Ferguson and I wouldn't have to pay minus 300 on it. I'd get a good line because uh, Jared Gordon, you know, um, people don't view him in the same light as, you know, someone that could potentially be a future top 15 guy or a hyped prospect or whatever the case may be. So I don't care that that, uh, Jared Gordon should have won that fight or whatever jared gordon would whoop tony ferguson's ass tony's completely done and if you watch tony um when bruce buffer introduces tony right and every fighter's got their own little thing they do you know like uh diego sanchez did he used to do like the whole like this thing and you're right like every every fighter does their own thing right so tony's thing is he does like a little takedown shot like a little a little uh takedown entry when he's being introduced right and there's a compilation that came out of that takedown entry when he's being introduced and how much slower it's gotten <laughs> over the years now that his knees are so fucking gone like it used to be an explosive shot like god damn okay who's this mean guy now it's like yo like tony like let's hang it up my boy you know but he's one of these guys that doesn't know when to say when so i don't know what it's going to be i don't know if it's going to be a knockout a submission a decision but i just got to go with the guy that's not damaged goods here so give me patty the Batty. yeah
1: well said
0: now next up Kicking off the main card in the welterweight division, we got Vicente Luque. He's 22-9, and nine, taking on Ian Machado Gary, who's 13-0. and 0. Currently, they got it. Ian Gary, minus 380. The comeback on Vicente Luque is plus 305. All right, I want to talk about something real quick because you remember the last fight Luque had where he was fighting RDA, but the big narrative was that he was coming off the brain bleeding, right? Like, you remember that, how... Uh, Jeff Neal face planted him and then the dude had brain bleeding. So we were thinking, oh man, he's not going to come back the same. And, and then after that fight, people were telling me, oh, that was such a stupid narrative. You just went out there and won. Yeah. Let's talk about what happened in that RDA fight. He did not stand up with RDA. All of a sudden, because we've been saying for years, Luque is a real black belt, but he's one of those black belts that never uses his You just don't, No, don't get me wrong. He'll rock people. They shoot on a sloppy shot. He's got an amazing anaconda, amazing darts, amazing guillotine. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about he would never pursue takedowns. He would never be a guy that would try to grind people out. Vicente Luque was known for that devastating left hook, his calf kicks, his nasty one-punch knockout power. But in that RDA fight, when was the last time you saw Vicente Luque attempt 11 takedowns in a fight and score eight of them? Kyle Marley and RDA attempted seven, scored two of them. So, what I'm trying to say is, these guys weren't standing and banging, <laughs> these guys were wrestling each other. Uh, RDA was much smaller, and Luque, you know, coming off the brain bleeding. I don't blame you, it's time to use your wrestling. But here against Ian Gary, Ian Gary is not a five foot seven lightweight like rafael dos años ian gary is a six foot three grown ass man welterweight smack dab in his prime and here is where i'm still concerned about that brain bleeding because this this guy is going to touch your chin rda y'all grappled for five rounds put everyone to sleep that's not going to happen here but let me say something too gary can grapple too defensively I like his takedown defense. I like his get-up game. I like his usage of range. But here's where I have a couple issues. You watch that Keenan Song fight, and what was the punch Keenan Song dropped him with in round one? The left hook. Who's got one of the most devastating left hooks in the history of the welterweight division? Vicente. And Vicente is not just knocked out welterweights, Kyle. You know he knocked out Tiago Maheto Santos, who's a who's a 205 er right? So I'm just saying Vicente can crack anyone. If Ian, if Ian leaves a big opening there, that could happen, and um, Ian is this is this Orthodox versus Orthodox? I'm pretty sure it is, right? Yeah, yeah Orthodox versus Orthodox. So the calf kicks are gonna be there for Vicente Luca. Now let me say something. I don't usually get involved in the out of the cage bullshit because to me that's neither here nor there It's narrative, but. I was very shocked that Ian Gary put his social medias on private. That's not something like I know, I know that's narrative. I know that I know he might just touch Luke and that might not even mean a fucking thing, right? But when, like, you think Conor McGregor would ever put his shit on private, you think, I don't know, Jamal, you think any of these so confident guys who either were former champions, want to be champions again. Um, like, do you think any of those? Like, do you think LeBron James will put his fucking shit on private because he got a little bit of heat? Nah. So, I, I do question if, you know, if we're gonna see a little, you know, uh, young stunt here, if we're gonna see a prospect stunt. I just think that Vicente is on his way out. I'm still worried about the brain bleeding, and 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 Gary's the guy that'll actually make him pay for it, whereas RDA and luke just wanted a hug for 15 for 25 minutes so i got gary but uh i'm not running to the window i have listen there used to be a time when i could bet on gary at minus 150 against gabe green so if i bet on him at minus 150 against gabe green why am i going to bet on him at minus 400 against vicente luke i'm not i'm passing but my pick is gary hopefully he's got his head on straight because him putting his shit on private not a good look
1: yeah i mean the whole lead up to the fight It's probably not positive for Ian Gary. I definitely favor him to win this fight more often than not. He's the much better striker, the more dangerous striker, the faster striker, and he can just piece up uh, Luque at range if that's where this fight's going to take place, similar to the Luque Wonderboy fight, except probably more dangerous on the Gary side. But as you mentioned, Luque could knock him out. The leg kicks could definitely add up as well. But the whole brain bleeding thing, it kind of made him change his style. Like he, He landed eight takedowns in that last fight. You'd have to go back 14 fights before he landed a takedown before that. Just one takedown. So I also kind of like when these guys think about their their mental health, their brain, and then they start going out there fighting a little bit smarter. If Luke doesn't just accept a striking match here, I think that the line's a lot closer than it indicates. I don't think that Gary wins this fight 80% of the time like some books have it as. So for me, it's going to be dog or pass. I think Luke can just make this a dirty fight keep it close enough on the feet with his volume to where if he lands a takedown or two, then that just swings it for the judges. And then I also think he's live for submission. If he is able to get takedowns, I think Gary is in trouble on the ground. So I'm going to take Luke in this one. I I don't feel good about it. It's the line that talked me into it, but I think that there's value on the underdog a little bit.
0: Now, next up in the featherweight division, we got a matchup between Josh Emmett. He's 18 and four taking on Bryce Mitchell, who's 16 and one. 16 and two if you count the katona fight currently they got it bryce mitchell minus 225 the comeback on josh Emmett is plus 185 i like bryce mitchell in this spot listen i know uh it might be a little chalky at this point but i i just have to fade guys in their retirement fight and it's not just his retirement fight he's coming off two really bad ass whoopings and even his fight against cater took a lot of damage there like here's the thing he had that amazing fight with shane burgo's incredible fight but you know he tore his acl in that fight and he came back over a year later and i just don't feel like he's looked the same like the dan Ige fight that fight was way too close for comfort the cater fight now i'm in the minority i actually did score that fight for emmett but a lot of people thought that cater won that fight so again a little you know it's He's not trending upwards. And then the Yair fight, Yair looked like he was in the goddamn Matrix, and then Ilya looked like a future world champion. So here it's a spot where you look at it on paper and you think, well, Emmett's a former, what, D1 wrestler? Hey, let's keep this fight standing. And at one point, Emmett did have the most knockdowns in the history of the featherweight division, Kyle Marley. So theoretically speaking, you can look at it as, look, Emmett let's keep this fight standing and let's you know let's touch this guy's chin and see what happens after that but you know little did it come to my attention that Emmett's only got 46% takedown defense that's a, a little suspect for a guy with his wrestling credentials not to mention he's not as old as I thought I thought he was like 40 41 he's more like 38 39 but still it's his retirement fight He's already, you know, whether it's back in the day against Holtzman, giving up three takedowns, giving up a takedown against Desmond Green, giving up takedowns against Dan Ige, again, three against Deporia. Like, the thing about Bryce, we were talking about it with Colby. First 10 takedowns might not land, Kyle, but that 11th, 12th, and 13th will. And when this hits that second and third round, like the first round might be kind of ugly, but it hits that second and third, and Bryce is just going to keep going and going and going putting that pedal to the metal i know it's short notice but i heard an interview with him with bisbing and he said that he was literally praying for an opportunity he said when's my short notice opportunity going to come he said he talked to god and then and then the day later he got the call so hey i'm not going to question the validity but all i'm going to say is that this is not a guy that was coming off the couch this is a guy who was waiting by the phone for a short notice opportunity and uh I think he's going to make the most of it. I'm considering laying it here, man. Um, You know, I I just like to uh, bet against guys in the retirement fights. And I also like to bet on guys who have that relentless takedown approach. And that's what he's got. So I got Bryce Mitchell here.
1: Yeah, I agree. I kind of think it's knockout or bust for Emmett because I just don't see Bryce accepting a striking match. I mean, Emmett would win a 15 minute striking match, you would think. Uh, But. That's just not going to be the case, man. When Mitchell gets one takedown, I think he keeps it there or gets a submission or goes to the next round where I think he eventually gets another takedown as well. Uh, But yeah, the most dominant part of this game is going to be Mitchell on the ground. I don't think Emmett's going to have anything to offer him there. And if Emmett can't land the knockout blow, then I just think it's a matter of time before he ends up on his back and it, you're right i mean a guy in his retirement fight been thinking about retirement for a while too not somebody i like to back with with my money so give me mitchell to mop the floor with them
0: well, i like it i like it now next up in the bantamweight division we got a matchup between irena aldana she's 14 and 7 taking on carol Hosa, who's 17 and 5 and currently they got it Irene Aldana minus 160. The comeback on Carl Hosa is plus 160. So the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over and expecting different results, right? So am I gonna go back to the well with uh, Carl Hosa here in a step up in competition, like I did against Sarah McMahon against uh, what's the name of the uh, of the big Brazilian booty girl? Um,
1: uh, n- Norma.
0: Norma. Yeah, yeah. Against Norma, where like the first two rounds, man, like it was like you know kind of close she kind of just slightly got you know outpointed uh carl did but then carl had a big third round in both those fights and it's like man if you just got started a little bit earlier i think you would have done well like dude i like the volume from rosa i think she's good everywhere it's just is she finally gonna put it together and that step up in competition is third time the charm kyle marley because i mean I ain't laying no minus 185 on Irena. <laughs> I'll tell you that right now. Uh, and Carl is tempted, but am I going to, uh, you know, complete the definition of insanity or is third time the charm? I,
1: I like I like Rosa in this one. I just don't really understand how Aldana's is a, a 65 or more percent favorite in this one. I just see this as a real close fight. If it's on the feet, it's probably a high volume striking match. I do think Aldana is the one that's a little bit more technical, has cleaner shots. And maybe you favor her to win a little bit more often than not, like 55, really 60% max. And that's really in a pure striking match. I also think Rosa can go out there and land takedowns and spend time in top control. So that it's just a a coin flip to me. So I'm definitely on the Rosa side for the odds. I mean, I'm the same way. I feel like I've been backing both of these ladies for a while now. Uh, But it's just, it's closer to an even fight. And I always got to lean with the underdog. If it had Aldana as plus 160, I'd be picking out Donna here. Uh, but it's just any that you're going to give me a, a coin flip and then those judges are reading off their shitty scores and it's a split decision, I always want to have the underdog 100% of the time. So give me Rosa. Yeah,
0: I mean, listen, I got to pick Rosa for the same reasons. It's just... I picked her for the same reasons against Sarah McMahon. Actually, that's not true. She was a favorite against Sarah McMahon. But my my reasoning, you know what my reasoning was. Kyle Marley, Sarah McMahon will quit after round one. Unfortunately, she quit after round two. So it was a little bit too late. And the Norma fight, I got dog eyes on Carol. I thought that, you know, same same thing. I thought it was a 50-50 fight. And it was a 50-50 fight. It's just Norma slightly edged the first two. And then Carl really won that third. So you know i'm just gonna be pissed off when Irena pins her up against the fence for the first two rounds and then gets her ass kicked in round three and we lose a 29 28 but i just cannot get this minus 185 minus 200 on Irena. i'm gonna go with carl and pray that third time's a charm just win one round before the third if you can do that because i know we're winning that third round like if you can just give me one of these first two I think we'll be uh, sitting pretty, like Kyle Marley likes to say. So let's see what happens.
1: I feel like she can go out there and win every round, too, especially if she looks to wrestle. If she wrestles early, I, I think she could hang out in top control for seven, eight minutes of this fight, land 200 total strikes, and just make it a uh, three, uh, complete domination type of fight. But I really don't see that being the case for Aldana. I don't think Aldana can completely dominate this fight. I mean, maybe, I guess, w- w- minus 200, people think she can. So I guess we'll see. But yeah, Dogger Pass, I think it's kind of clear.
0: People have always been super high on Aldana for some reason. Um, I mean, she brings some stuff to the table, good volume, had good takedown defense at one point. her takedown defense was in like the 95 percent at one point, and she's had some. It's cool to see those one punch knockouts in the women's divisions, like she did against um, against who did she knock out? She knocked out two Yana Kuniskaya and um, uh, Ketlin Vieira, Ketlin Vieira, and that fight against shouts on it, it wasn't the most orthodox finish but that was pretty fucking dope i've never seen one like that before so you know she's done some cool stuff from time to time but then the holly fight like we don't got to talk about amanda because amanda's amanda but the holly fight that was embarrassing that, that was embarrassing man so um and then when carol loses fight she doesn't get embarrassed she just slightly gets out edged you know just slightly by the slightest margin that's something you can fix up in the gym so hopefully from those lessons she's learned she can come back out here catch Aldana at a good time also Aldana coming off the title fight loss you know every fighter's dream is to be a world champion when you don't realize that dream motivation's got to be when you reach the top of the mountain there's nowhere to go but down and carol is still climbing so narrative 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 but let's go carol now next up in the bantamweight division we got the former champ cody Garbrandt, or as we like to say in brazil kyle cody garbranch he's 13 and 5 taking on brian kelleher who's 24 and 14 currently they got it cody Garbrandt minus 200 the comeback on brian kelleher is plus 165 so i mean dude listen i bet on trevin jones in that last one to me it's like you get dog odds against cody garbrant and i'm fading and man it was close like Trevin didn't throw until round three. It was like, oh my God, like the fight was within reach. So on paper, look, Cody, he's got the championship experience. He's be better level of competition. He's got massively fast hands. He can wrestle. He's a D1 wrestler. He's a Golden Gloves boxer. I mean, what's there not to like offensively? It's just the guy's got no chin. His confidence um, is at the point where he's got to he has to um play fight safe to win, right? Like he cannot bang it out like he used to. And with Kelleher, You know, he's just kind of like kind of a journeyman junkyard dog. But I'll tell you what, you know, he's got experience against faded legends, right? You remember what he did to Hennon Burrell? You remember what he did to former UFC Bantamweight champion Hennon Burrell when he was on his way out? Hey, can this be the second time he goes out there and beats a former champ, Kyle Marley?
1: I I think so. Yeah. I mean, another one, I'm not laying minus 200 on Cody Garbrandt. I, I definitely think he's the more skilled boxer. Probably the more credentialed wrestler as well. But it's just hard to win fights when you don't throw punches. And I think that the chin is an issue. The confidence is an issue. Um, if he is going out there shooting for takedowns, I think the guillotine for Kelleher could be a big issue as well. So that's another one. I'm on the underdog. Maybe Garbrandt is landing the harder shots on the feet. But Kelleher's doubling them up on strikes just because Cody's too scared to throw um if if Cody's getting the, i mean I'm sorry if if Kelleher's getting the takedowns i think Cody's probably in trouble off his back too so yeah this is just a, another clear underdog dogger pass for me i'm just not laying minus 200 on Garbrandt again on against any UFC veteran i don't think uh i just think he looks so far gone and i can't i feel like Kelleher's probably on his way out soon too but his last two fights were so fast we didn't really see his skills declining he was just fighting better fighters and if if Kobe fought those guys, he would have got his ass whooped too. So give me Kelleher. I think he's a good underdog to, to back on this card, maybe.
0: Correct me if my math is incorrect, but aren't we approaching like eight years from when Cody Garbrandt had that amazing performance against Dominic Cruz?
1: Dude, yeah, I bet you're right. It's been a long time. It was
0: like 2016.
1: Yeah, yeah almost, actually, seven years. Next seven it, years.
0: Yeah, man. So I'm just saying, like. <sighs> You know, it's not just the TJ Dillashaw fights and, and the, the, all the knockout losses. It's also, uh, remember he had that back surgery, right? Remember he had to go to like Germany and get those injections and his back was never the same. And he just had all these reoccurring injuries. Um, the thing with that Trevin Jones fight, obviously, like you mentioned, he was very timid to throw. Um, he did get wobbled in that fight at one point, but like when he let his takedowns go, like his takedowns were explosive. Uh, so he has to play it super safe kelleher has got a nice little guillotine if uh, you know the takedown isn't quite properly timed, and then also there was this fight Brian Keller ha- Keller had you know we mentioned the uh, the brow fight how we know he's got experience with former champions that are on their way out so we know he's beat guys like that but there was this fight he had against Hunter Azure where they had kind of like, you know, Hunter Azure was doing his thing early, but they got into one of those 50-50 pocket exchanges where, like, they both wing overhand right to left hooks, kind of like Carlos Conde versus Dan Hardy. Uh, there was one of those exchanges recently. Oh, yeah, my boy uh, Choo Choo, Jared Nitran Gooden against Wellington Termon. They both threw overhand rights and left hooks at the same time. Jared just landed first. Uh, Brian Kelleher just landed first against uh, Azure. Carlos Conde just landed first against Dan Hardy could this be a case where they're standing in the pocket brian Kelleher lands that big left hook first because if he does land on the chin uh cody's going to sleep again that's just the bottom line so to me it's it's really tough to call but then you've seen fights with brian Kelleher where he can just be neutralized you do take his back one time and and the fight's over shortly after and yeah so it's a tough one to call um But it's a dogger pass situation all day. I'm gonna, as a pure pick, I'll pick Cody, but there's a chance I bet this fight. And if I do bet this fight, it's on Kelleher. It's just, do I trust this fucking guy who won't shave his ugly ass head? Like, bro, like, you're welcome in the bald gang, buddy. Like, and he's got the rat tail and he's a white rapper, but he's not like Beastie Boy caliber. Okay, that's (laughs) none of that shit matters, but I'm just saying, man, like, I don't know if I trust a guy like Keller. I think he's on his way out too. So I'm going to pick Cody, but I might bet on Keller at a principle, just out of principle, right? So let's see. Now, next up in the flyweight division, we got a matchup between Casey O'Neill. She's nine and one, representing Scotland, taking on Ariane Lipsky, who's sixteen and eight, representing Brazil. Currently, they got it. Casey O'Neill minus one ninety. The comeback on Ariane Lipsky is plus one sixty five. What do you think, my friend? Because listen. Aaron Lipsky from time to time, she will impress. And then from time to time, she will do the opposite. She will lay an egg. Um, but at her best, she's dangerous. And Casey O'Neill, I like certain things. I like her opportunistic finishing ability. I like her volume. I don't like kind of, I think athleticism wise, athleticism-wise, she's gonna struggle when she gets to the kind of the topper echelon of that division. I don't think she's the fastest girl either. Um, but she is dangerous against these kind of lower level fighters. We've seen Ariane finished on the map multiple times, but do you think Ariane is finally putting it together? You think it's, you know, a hit or miss
1: situation? Like what, what do you think about this fight? Yeah, I'm kind of struggling on this one. I, I do think that Lipski is the much better striker with more striking tools in her toolbox. I also think she's got more power on the feet, but she's less durable. Um, she's not going to have as much volume as Casey O'Neill. And then I also think if there's takedowns, it's going to be O'Neal. And that's where Lipsky would struggle the most is just getting up off her back. So ultimately, I am siding with O'Neal. I mean, she landed, it was Roxanne Monteferry, but she landed like 230 significant strikes in that fight. I don't know if Lipsky would land 230 significant strikes on a punching bag in 15 minutes. Um, so even if she is landing the harder, cleaner shots on the feet, if she's getting doubled up, it's going to be super close. And then if Casey can land one takedown, it's been... A minute in top control she probably wins the fight clearly in all three judges i mean you never know what those idiots are thinking but i i do gotta lean with o'neill i think there's more ways for her to win this fight and i think that it'll look good for the judges as well especially if she is going out there being smart landing takedowns but at the same time when, when i'm thinking of fights close kind of going back and forth i'm like well damn do i take the underdog chance on this one so i think i'm just gonna stay away the best way in my opinion, to invest in. This is going to be just Casey O'Neill on DraftKings. If she does win, she has a, a massive ceiling with the output she, that she can put on the feet. And then if you add on takedowns and top control on top of that, I just think Casey O'Neal's a great DraftKings play, assuming she wins. Whereas Lipsky, if she wins as an underdog, she still might just like have an okay score and get outscored by other underdogs on this card. So I'll probably stay away from a bet and then kind of load up on O'Neill and DraftKings.
0: You know what might maybe be... A good way to approach this, and you know, I haven't put my money down, so don't quote me. But maybe you could take O'Neill wins inside the distance at plus two hundred because you've seen uh Lipsky finish by didn't she get finished by the shitty Shevchenko and by like Montana De La Rosa and like Priscilla Cachoeira and like all the okay. So O'Neill inside is plus two hundred and Arian's plus one sixty five. You bet both. One of them hits, you're profiting. So that could be a way to look at it. Um, I'm going to lean O'Neal because, look, I do like the volume she's put out, like the last two fights, the 230 versus Roxanne, the 140 versus Jennifer. um, It's just my issue with Casey, like I said, not the most athletic, not the most intimidating, not the most imposing. So her strikes while the volume is there and we love the volume. It's not that impactful compared to Lipsky. When Lipsky lands her shots, she's actually landed knockdowns in UFC fights. Right. And outside the UFC as well, too. Um, but then there's that element with Casey getting on top of her. Um, if Lipsky hasn't patched up certain things, like she could get finished again. This wasn't just like a one-time thing. Oh, I was on my period or, oh, I had a fight with my boyfriend the morning of the fight. No, this happened multiple times. So you're telling me if O'Neill gets in full mount, O'Neill O'Neal takes her back I think she's got a good chance to finish that fight. But on the feet, that's where I'm worried. So from a money line perspective, I think his dog are passed. But I think there might be value in a Casey inside the distance prop. Possibly. I'll pick Casey. Let's see what happens. What do you do? You have any opinion on that? Plus 200 inside.
1: Uh, Yeah, I think it would probably it would have to be on the ground. Man, I, I don't. Plus 200 is not bad. I just have a hard time betting on these.
0: Yeah, I know, I know, I know.
1: <laughs> inside the distance, but again, if she does finish, she's going to score well on DraftKings. So it just puts me back over there where I would just rather invest in her. I think there's a lot of favorites on this card who don't really have big ceilings on DraftKings, but Casey yeah. O'Neill is one of those who you love the work rate from her, and when she adds up, you know, 150 plus strikes with two plus takedowns, man, that's that's huge on DraftKings.
0: For sure, for sure. Y'all do me a huge favor follow my man kyle marley at big marley three on twitter and uh do you have a youtube channel by chance or anything
1: nah uh shipping nation youtube that's where i'm at every friday all
0: right yeah so check them out at ship it nation and then also hit the like button for me um subscribe if you're not subscribed when this is over please leave me a comment and if you feel so inclined to share i really appreciate that thank you guys now, next up in the light heavyweight division, we got a matchup between Alonzo Menafield He's fourteen and three, taking on Dustin Jacoby, who's nineteen and seven. Currently, they got it. D- uh, holy shit, D- uh, Dustin Jacoby minus three hundred. Man, it was my mi- opened minus one fifty five. It's minus three hundred now. The comeback on Alonzo Menafield is plus two fifty. So, listen, whoever you know, steam that. Hey, you know, if you keep, you know, if you get lines like you beat a line by that much by like a dollar 50 then hey man you're gonna be on the right side of the coin long term you can go ahead and hedge out but let me ask you something where the line currently is how do you view
1: this yeah i mean i'm not betting jacoby uh man is it i don't know it's tough actually i haven't handicapped it yet so I'm not sure, but I could see there being a little bit of value on Minifield in this one. I mean, he's always live for a knockout, really, in any round, too. And then if there's takedowns in this fight, it's going to be Minifield as well. How much control time can he really get? I don't think it would be much. I think he has a better chance of just ground and pound, trying to put this guy away rather than control this fight for two or three rounds. Uh, But at the same time, man, if this fight, if he can't get the takedowns and if he can't get the knockout, Jacoby's just going to piece him up on the feet, triple him up on volume um and and he'll probably put him away in the second or third round as well if he is able to, you know, volume him up. <laughs> but damn, man, 3 to 1. I'm not laying that. I don't know. What do you think about this? I think the line makes it interesting, but at the same time if you're just giving you're telling me these are the two fighters, who's going to win? I'm taking Jacoby.
0: Yeah. I'm not sure how much I agree with you in terms of the the takedown upside. Um like, don't get me wrong. Like one's one's a like K1. I mean a glory striker. So by default, you'd think the other guy is more likely to land takedowns. But like you look at Alonzo's last few fights, and he's gotten taken down seven times in his last two fights, like seven to nothing ratio. Um, now granted Jimmy Crude is is, you know, a grappler and stuff like that. Uh and so Okay, so Alonzo left Fortis MMA, which I think is one of the best gyms in terms of just, I think their coach, Safe Sayud, has an amazing mind for this game. And now Alonzo's training with Pat Barry, which sounds terrible. Like, that's like, what are you doing? But the result of his last two fights, he was looking brutal. But at the same time, we know Jimmy was never the same after what Jamal did to him. So how do you view it? Do you view it as is making these leaps training with Pat Barry, Or do you view it as he had damaged goods and he kind of just took out the trash a little bit and we shouldn't put too much stock into that
1: i would say he's making some leaps but i don't think he's made enough leaps to be able to beat a guy like Jacoby without knocking him out
0: yeah Jacoby so seasoned standing switches his stance very methodical in there but he's not impervious to being cracked too and i'm not just talking about kickboxing what alex Pereira did no shame in that but even azimat merzikana was rocking him all over the place the khalil fight people only talk about how it was this big robbery but let's not talk about who won or who lost let's talk about the success khalil had in that fight he like it was obvious that um dustin was you know the more active guy you know he outlanded him but Khalil, like when his shots landed, it was there was impact, there were reactions, it was like oh shit type stuff, and that's what I'm wondering if Alonzo can do here. You know, while Dustin's gonna have the more volume, and Dustin, of course, can knock out Alonzo. Alonzo's been knocked out. You remember the OSB fight? Um, I- I'm just curious if when Alonzo wings back at him, you know, Dustin's not a young guy. You know what I'm saying? Uh, he's, he's not that old, but just saying, you know, he's towards the, the latter part of his career more towards the beginning of his part of, uh, uh, part of his career right so it would not surprise me at all i just kind of see dustin picking him apart a little bit um it's just do we see a knockout here or do we see a three-round war that's the question like i'm just not really sure what to expect so I, i'm gonna pick i'm gonna pick dustin but you know i was thinking about dustin when he was minus 160 he's minus 300 now it's gotten out of hand so it's a pass for me i'll pick dustin
1: yeah, and, and I mean, if you were going to take a shot at a prop, would you rather take Dustin by TKO or would you take him by decision? It looks like Ugh, decision right now is plus 165. and Oh, wait, inside the distance is plus 140. TKO is plus 185.
0: But well, from time to time, man, Dustin will find shins too. Like, he's not just a point striker. Like, that fight he had with Daewun Jung, like, man, that was a... That was a fucking awesome knockout. That was a nice one-punch knockout he had in there against Kennedy and Zechuku. You saw that as well. So, like, he's not just a point fighter, like, but he's pointing yeah. it up real guys. Like, Mikhail Oleg real guy. Um, Maxim Grishin, you know, he might be hit or miss, but Maxim's a big boy. Maxim's a former heavyweight. Maxime's a guy who beat Volka back in the day. So, just saying, like, Dustin's got it done against real guys by all kinds of methods. And with Alonzo, I know he's got that prototypical, you know, he's just jacked. So you think he's knockout or bust, but I'll tell you what, his takedown defense, I think has been pretty impressive. Um, He has knocked plenty of people out. He submitted a black belt his last fight. So I would not sleep on him, but I got to go Dustin here. I think he's cleaner, but cleaner doesn't matter if you get hit clean on the chin. So, yeah. Now, next up in the flyweight division, we got a matchup between Tagir Ulanbekov. He's 14-2, and two, taking on Cody Durden, who's 16-4-1. Currently, they got it. Tagir Ulanbekov 170. The comeback on Cody Durden is plus 145. Um, this is a huge three-week span for Atlanta, man. I mean, we had Jared Nitron good and shout out to my boy Choo Choo going out there, getting his first submission in the UFC and his first bonus in the UFC. The week after that, my professor, Gee Curry, went out there and won the NFC lightweight belt. And this week we got Cody Durden fighting a Russian. So on a pay-per-view. So, I mean, huge week for Georgia and ATL, man. Um, And listen, Y'all know I got to preface this by saying I'm very biased towards Cody Dern. I consider him a friend. I've been to his house. I've met his wife and his kids. I mean, it could be you could put Francis and Ganu in front of him, and I'd pick Cody Dern. You can put Davison. I'm picking Cody Dern. So I'm picking Cody Dern, but I can also break down this fight objectively. I'm not delusional, um, and I know how good Tagir is. People are actually pretty low on Tagir. I'm not one of those people. I think Tagir is immensely talented. And one thing I really like about him is how relentless he is. You watch that fight he had against Bruno Silva, and Bruno's getting off on these nasty calf kicks, the kind of calf kicks where, I mean, he landed so many of them that – If Tagir starts flopping to his back or starts, you know, remember that Michael Chandler versus Brent Primus fight or the first round of Henry Cejudo versus Mighty Mouse in their second fight where they got kicked to the calf and their peronial nerves went out and they're rolling all over their ankles like – Dude, if that kind of shit happened to Tagir, I would have not held it against him. And the fact that he was able to dig deep in those spots and keep pushing forward, and then that Alan Nascimento fight, Alan had him in a deep-ass guillotine, and Tagir survived. Tagir's got hard. That first round against Tim Elliott, Tim Elliott drops him, and Tagir, in my opinion, comes back and wins the next two rounds. So I respect the hell out of Tagir. And that fight against Maness, he had that nice long man choke waiting for, for Maness. So... Yeah, I got nothing but good things to say about the gear. Uh, The thing with Cody is, Cody's got that balls-to-the-wall style. That's just the bottom line. With the -the balls-to-the-wall style, he's going to put up the kind of takedown numbers you want. Don't sleep on his striking either. I'm pretty sure he's outstruck every single guy he's fought in the UFC, besides maybe like Chris Gutierrez, which he took on like five-day notice up a weight class and still went to a draw. Um, But do not like, uh, Cody went to Fortis MMA um, because I think he was helping out like, uh, Miles Johns and, uh, Matt Schnell back when they were training at Fortis and safe Sayu, the coach of Fortis, he said, "Durden, why don't you ever strike your striking's better than your wrestling. So, and now you just saw those last two fights against Charles Johnson and Jake Hadley. While he did have immense, uh, success wrestling, let's not, let's not beat around the bush about, about the kind of success he had wrestling 11 takedowns against charles johnson which is the record for the second most amount of takedowns in flyweight history you know who's got the most kyle mokayev against charles johnson so mokayev got 12 against charles johnson cody got 11 against charles johnson so they they uh, got the records for the first and second most takedowns in flyweight history
1: step All- it up charles johnson
0: yeah. And then the next fight against Hadley, we can talk about the heart Cody showed surviving that armbar. but he also went out there, outstruck him. He also went out there, landed four takedowns. Cody is a dog. The fight with Carlos Moda, for some reason, he's not uh, counted with a knockdown, but he knocked down Moda in that first round. So you cannot sleep on his striking. And I spoke to Cody uh, a couple of months about this fight. He knows what the deal is. Like he knows what he needs to look out for. He knows it's the submission defense and it's not because Cody's not a good grappler. Cody's a fantastic grappler. He's a state champion wrestler. He's a brown belt in jujitsu. He trains with guys like Pantoja. Like his grappling is not the issue. The issue is when you, like I said, when you have that balls to the wall style, you're going to leave openings. That's the bottom line. So Cody needs to look out for those front man chokes, uh, those long man chokes and stuff like that. But honestly, I think Cody can outwork the gear. I really think that Cody can put it onto gear and look, both guys might get taken down. Both guys might land big shots, but The thing is, if Cody's tired, you're going to be tired. That's just the bottom line of how he fights. And um, I think that he's going to get the biggest win of his career. And we are going to enter discussions of him being a top 10 guy, potentially a future top five guy and all respected to gear. I think he's the man. And I'm so grateful he took this fight. Both guys are managed by the same guy. I asked Cody about that. I was like, how do you feel about that? He's like, bro. I got to fight all these guys anyways. I don't care. Like, he wasn't trying to be like, oh, we got the same management, so I'm not going to fight this guy. He wasn't trying to pull any of the bullshit that some of these other guys try to pull. If Tagir misses weight, Cody's not going to be like, um, I'm not taking this fight. Like, this is a real fighter. One thing about us ATL boys, I'm not a fighter, but you saw with Jared, you saw, you see with Cody, uh, these guys do not give a fuck about if you miss weight, if you do this, if you do that. These guys are tough as nails and are going to fight to the bitter end. And I think, that, I think that's what's going to happen. So I got Cody edging out to gear by decision here.
1: Yeah, I like it. And I, I really like when you said you think he's going to outwork him, And that's how I see it going down, too. I, I just think this is a lot closer to a coin flip fight uh, where Tajir's probably the more skilled striker, might have a little bit more volume, probably the more dangerous grappler. But I think Durden can keep it real close on volume. Keep really keep keep it a coin flip fight if it is on the feet, and then I also think he's the better wrestler, the guy that's going to be pushing forward, the better offensive and defensive wrestler that is. So, if we're just going back and forth with takedowns, I just think Durden's the one that'll hold up for 15 minutes and land more, and we probably get a split decision where it could go either way. But give me the plus 140 in that case. I'm not laying minus 170 anytime when I think it could be a split decision. Uh, so, yeah, I'm with you. Go dirt. I mean, the only issue is that Trump probably won't even be in the building yet for him yet at that point. Right. So if he was in there, then you got to make C- Cody a favorite.
0: Yeah. Well, Cody did tweet at him. So maybe uh, someone in the Secret Service side and they can get Trump there <laughs> a little earlier to see it. But, uh, yeah, no. have to
1: see Trump there for some prelims.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Could you imagine? <laughs> so <laughs> now. Nah. Next up in the featherweight division, we got a matchup between Andre Feely. He's 22 and 10, taking on Lucas Almeida, who's 14 and 2. Currently, they got it Andre Feely minus 170. The comeback on Lucas Almeida 145. Kyle, you know, you've known me 10 plus years. You know, I fade Andre Feely every single fight. And it's not because I have anything against him. I fucking love Andre Feely. Firstly, I got a story about Andre Feely. When I went to California back in I think 2016, it was UFC uh, 199, the night that Bisping knocked out Rockhold. Um, lots of great fights on that card. Dustin Poirier versus Bobby Green, etc., etc., etc. Dan Hendo versus Hector Lombard. You know what I'm saying? Um, so I went there, right, because I got family in Cali. We had a family thing going on. So I was like, fuck it. I'm going to go to the family thing, and then I'll go to the fights too. So I'm staying with my family, and the day before the fights is the weigh-in day. And I, and I was, like, chilling, like, with my family. And I was like, Mom, you want to come to the weigh-ins with me? Like, because she's never experienced no shit like that before, right? So I was like, you know, come see what I like, right? So I took my mom with me to the weigh-ins, right? And Andre Feely was there hanging out. It was a couple of weeks after he lost to Yair. And Andre Feely could have not been the a cooler guy than he was. He took a picture with my mom. He was so nice, like – So I'll always respect Andre Feely. He is the fucking man, and I love watching him fight. He's always an exciting fighter. And to be in the UFC as long as he has, I mean, you tip your cap to a guy like that. Much respect. But here's the deal. Feely fights close every single fight. He's got skills everywhere. He's long on the feet. He can land takedowns. I've seen him take down D1 wrestlers. I've seen him knock out K1 strikers. I've seen him do it all, but I've also seen him, you know get starched by newcomers i've seen them go out there lose split decisions the guys that have you know that you'd think on paper have no business in there with them so i love me some feely but it's just he doesn't always fight how you want him to fight it's usually very close He's got a lot of openings in his game. And Lucas Almeida, he's got openings in his game, too. You saw that last one against Pat Sabatini. But Lucas is Lucas can crack, man. You watch his fight against Zell Huber, that was a fight of the night, in my opinion. You watch his fight against Trizano; that was a fight of the night, in my opinion. Like, why can't he come out here and have a fight of the night with Feely? I mean, I view Feely more like Zell Huber and, uh, and Trezano than I do to Pat Sabatini. Like, Feely, yeah, he might get a takedown or two, but he's not a guy that's just going to, like, sniff your crotch for 15 minutes that's not what feely does feely bangs that, that's feely comes out here and he fights like a man and that's why i love him so much but um i'm not laying no minus 170 minus 180 here let's go lucas i'm gonna take this underdog shot on lucas hope he doesn't get grinded out and hopefully we can touch this chin man um you know so we're going back to the well you know recently i cashed on joe anderson Brito 250 against feely i lost on Algio like plus something against Feely. I won on Nathaniel Wood, like minus 175 against Feely, going right back to the well. We're going to take Lucas Almeida here, and uh, hopefully we can crack this chin.
1: Yeah, I don't hate it. I think that Almeida could be the better striker, might be higher volumes, dangerous as well, could knock him out. But I, I just think it's close on the feet where he knocked out. Who did he knock out? Trezano? uh trezano was kind of just flat-footed walking him down he was just kind of there to hit in my opinion where i don't think feely will be that easy to hit i think he'll have more of a game plan on the feet but his big edge in this fight is going to be on the ground i think if he does fight smart he's going to mix in takedowns and i think he does win the fight on the ground uh so i'm picking feely but i'm not gonna not gonna lay the juice i guess if i had to bet this fight i'd probably rather take almeida But similar to last fight, what worries me about Almeida is it seems like everybody and their mother is on Almeida, similar to Durden, where it's like, damn, do I really want to be on the same side as everybody else? And on Durden, I think I probably do. On Almeida, I would just rather take the veteran, the guy who has the grappling edge, fight smart, Feely, don't get knocked out. And I think he can win the fight anywhere, really. I think he could get the knockout himself. There was a long time where I think Max Holloway said Feely was the, the hardest hitter he had ever faced. Um... That's a lot of people, too, you know, so I think Feely could knock him out. I think Feely could win two rounds on the feet. I think Feely could win all three rounds on the ground, uh, and I think he could submit him. So I'm going to have to side with Feely, but no bet.
0: Now, next up in the heavyweight division, we got a matchup between Shamil Gaziev. He's 11-0, taking on Martin Boudet, who's 13-1. and 1. Currently, they got it. Martin Boudet, minus 135. The comeback on Shamil Gaziev is plus 115. Just so you know, it opened minus 200 for Boudet, all the way down to minus 135 this is the fight i have the least to say about so let's hear what you gotta say
1: yeah i watched all the fights that were available for gadziev and they're kind of all the same where he just blitzes the guy early a lot of them are just complete scrubs and they end up giving up to some shots within the first 30 seconds or something like that and if he can't get the knockout he takes him down and then he finishes him on the ground and then the one time he got extended it ended up being a split decision he was super tired but both guys were super tired and I just think that he's in he's in big trouble if he can't get that finish in the first round in this fight. I don't think Budai will be as tired as a, his opponent was in that other fight. And I think it'll be a clear second and third round, probably Budai finishing in one of those two rounds. But at the same time, is it that Gadziev was really just fighting scrubs and they were easy to knock out or take down? Or is he just the real deal in the first round? I, I don't know what the first round is going to look like, but I think that's when Gadziev is going to have to get it done because I, I just don't see him being able to beat Boudet for three rounds. I don't think the wrestling's going to work well enough for his cardio to hold up as well. So give me Boudet to get a, a late finish at some point, probably a late second round, early third round finish. Uh, but that first round is going to be close, so maybe it's another live bet spot where you just kind of hope Boudet is losing the first couple minutes, and then you can hit him at plus money. Uh, I'm not going to bet him at, at minus 200 or whatever it is, but maybe I'll look for a live betting spot.
0: Well, it's minus 135 now
1: oh wow minus
0: 135
1: yeah so okay really what uh no for real i mean yeah i don't have that book but it's still at the same point what do you mean it's on a bet online yeah i don't have bet online i got i got the american DraftKings, FanDuel fan duel type shit bet mgm hold on
0: hold on hold on but it's close um,
1: uh and, Draft- and i actually don't hate that i mean especially if it keeps keeps closing i think that they're
0: DraftKings like minus 140 something
1: yeah, minus one forty two. For me, it's favorite or pass. I think. What do you think?
0: Um, it's tough. It's really tough. uh Gaziev, I like to call him Gassy Ev, because uh, you know, like you said, fights get extended. Not the best in terms of. Again, it, it's not that you know this guy. Um. You know, isn't isn't putting in the work? It's just. He's big, he's overweight, and it yeah, he uses a lot of energy with his style. That's just the bottom line. Uh, with Boudet. Who was it on Twitter that said Boudet equals Boudet? I, th- I thought that was the funniest fucking thing. I still don't remember who said it, but if you're if you're watching, leave me in the comments who said that. That shit was hilarious. Boudet's got this interesting style where he pins you up against the fence. It might not be the most exciting to watch, but he's very effective with it. He's good at, you know, kind of wearing guys down in that clinch knees elbows occasional takedown i love that finish he had his last fight hopefully he's starting to feel a bit more comfortable um it's just you know i heard someone talking about how uh Gaziev, um the last two letters of his name is ev it's plus ev to bet on evs right No, but uh you know you see an undefeated well, he's not russian first of all let's just get that out the way because people are gonna say you see an undefeated russian at dog odds and you gotta take him he's not russian firstly but i don't know I, I really don't know this is the fight i don't know i'm a lean boudet um but yeah i don't i don't know just maybe more clinch time survive an early storm not that he's mr uh cardio machine either not that he's a you know the ceo of epo or any shit like that right so yeah this is the one i just really don't know i'll pick boudet but you know i don't know now next up, kicking off the card. this is the first fight of the card kyle marley and, y'all, everyone do me a favor. Before we talk about Randy Brown and Salikov, hit that like button, hit that subscribe button, leave me a comment, follow my guy, Kyle Marley, at Big Marley 3. Now, let's talk about this. In the welterweight division, we got Randy, rude boy, Brown. He's 17 and 5, taking on Muslim Salikov, who's 19 and 4. Currently, they got it, Randy Brown. Minus 260, Kyle Marley. The comeback on Muslim Salikov is plus 220. I know for a fact, a year or two ago, I'm taking that shot on Muslim Salikov. Does he still have the goods? uh to, to make this happen.
1: Man, I don't know. I kind of see this as a lot like the uh Dustin Jacoby Menafield fight where Salikov probably has to land a big shot and knock him out in order to win. Maybe he can get a couple takedowns along the way too. I just don't think he's don't think that he's gonna be able to do enough with them. And I just think that Randy Brown is going to be the much better, taller, much longer, higher volume, faster, just complete better striker aside from the power and maybe durability as well and then I also think he's a much better grappler more likely to get the takedowns too so I'm gonna side with Randy Brown but I'm not trying to lay lay minus 300 because let's say he is winning the first round then he gets cracked and he gets dropped but he still makes it through who who wins that round at that point I I never know but that's kind of the power that we're dealing with with Salikov it only takes one he's he's a great striker overall it's just that he doesn't have enough volume he's getting too old at this point where i have a hard time wanting to back him but at the same time i'm not going to back randy brown at minus 300 but i will pick him to win yeah i
0: agree with you listen i I think that brown i've always really liked brown but i've always been kind of waiting for him to like get over that hump or finally live up to the potential or whatever the case may be because look at his best he's a super long striker i mean that's not a opinion what is it 77 inch reach I'm pretty damn sure it's, yeah, 78-inch yeah, seven, 78. 70, 78 reach, excuse me. He's got an 8-inch reach advantage in this spot, a 4-inch height advantage in this spot, six years younger. So it seems on paper that everything should go his way here. It's just sometimes Randy doesn't fight how you want him to fight. Um, I like, I love watching him fight because he does do a lot of showboating and stuff like that, which as a fan I enjoy watching, but as a betting man, if I got money on on Randy and he's putting his hands down, He's telling you to touch his chin, he's doing, you know, he, he's feeling himself a bit. When I'm betting on someone, I hate that shit. I'm like, Randy, focus, Randy, get serious, you know, like because he can make this fight look easy, like just like he could have made a lot of these fights look easy. Like the Wellington Termon fight was way closer than it needed to be, man. So, with Randy, I understand he's still learning on the job, that's what he says, but how, dude, you've been learning on the job since when? You've been in the USC since 2016, now, my guy. It's time to finally like put up or shut up type thing i mean he could just stick around the top 20 top 25 for the rest of his career but at one point i had aspirations for this guy to be a top 15 top 10 guy like i really think he's very talented the physical attributes he's good everywhere um it's just here's the thing with salikov low output like you said nasty spin kicks big counters with his hands his wrestling defense has gotten better over the years um but you can push a pace on a guy like Salikov. That's what Dalby did. Dalby lately, I don't know. Now, we were talking about CEO, VPO. I don't want to make any accusations, but whatever the fuck Dalby's been doing, Dalby's doctor, Dalby, whoever, you know, whatever fruits and vegetables they've been harvesting in their garden, like, man, if Muslim could get some of that, dude, like, and, and this fight's not in Abu Dhabi. This fight's not, you know, because I said before the Zaleski fight, no guy named Muslim's losing a judge's decision in Abu Dhabi. And a lot of people thought Zaleski won. They gave the decision to to Salikov. Here, we're in the USA, man. So Salikov's got to hurt Randy Brown. like. And Randy Brown's been hurt many times. Uh, I'm not just talking about Jack Della. You remember uh, Nico Price? Hashtag hammer fist from bottom. You remember? There's been some other times, too. I know there's been other times, right? Vicente Luque. Yeah. Um, yeah uh, i mean
1: that hammer fist from bottom is is the worry man every time i think about that i'm like i mean sally could definitely knock this guy out i
0: know that's what i'm (laughs) worrying about man because it's like okay randy's got the youth randy is you know kind of they're kind of going in different you know trajectories of their careers and stuff but muslim can power's the last thing to go muslim can still crack and randy does not have the best chin in the world so I don't know. Do you think it might be a dog or pass or is it just is Muslim at that point? We just cannot trust him anymore.
1: Yeah, it's I mean, if I had to bet the fight, I guess I'd rather take the underdog at this point Uh, because I I feel I just feel like I'd probably line Brown closer to like minus 200, maybe a little bit above that. But yeah, I'm not I'm not laying close to 75 percent line on a guy like Randy Brown. I, I just think it's a little bit closer than that. But at the same time, I have to give him the edge. But man, I feel like the fights that have been killing me the most lately are the first fight of the night. So I could definitely see Salikov knocking him out in the first round, and me just not having enough of him on DraftKings. My night being over right away, and then it'll just fall back on the bets. So we'll
0: see. I mean, I'll lay seventy-five percent implied against Mickey Gall or something, but
1: (laughs) uh, but
0: but Salikov can legitimately hurt this guy. So that's what I'm worried about. So it's a pass for me. I'll pick Randy. I think it's a pass, like i don't know part of me is like should i take a one unit shot on muslim or am i just throwing a unit away so i don't y'all let me know in the comments what y'all think about this one uh i'm gonna pick randy officially but yeah uh, i'm very interested great first fight of the night to get things kicked off now before we get out of here we gotta talk about the fight to watch and the fighter to watch so i'm gonna go first so you get a chance so the fight to watch obviously we know about the main the co-main event we know about shaft cat we know about patty we know about vicente and ian so let's put some light on a different fight and i want to put some light on bryce mitchell versus josh emmett this is a josh emmett's retirement fight josh emmett is a guy who at one point had the most knockdowns in featherweight history bryce mitchell by the time his career is done he might have the most takedowns landed or takedowns attempted in featherweight history so these are two record breakers these are two guys that get after it but they're at different points in their careers this is a crossroads fight and uh, i cannot wait to see it so for that reason mitchell versus emmett is my fight to watch Kyle marley what's your fight to watch
1: i gotta go with one of the title fights i man you know i feel like pantoja versus roy val if both title fights went all 25 minutes that's just going to be our fight of the night right there. Pantoja versus Roy Val. That could be the highest pace fight of the whole night. And it could of take a year. Yeah. Yeah. The whole year. <laughs> yeah. And it could take place on the feet or the ground and it's still going to be fight of the night potential. So I'm going to go with the co-main event for the fight to watch.
0: Yeah. And my fighter to watch, listen, it's no surprise. My fire watches Cody Durden. Listen, this is your chance, kid. You're five and two in the UFC. You're on a four-fight win streak. You win this fight. You enter the top ten. All of a sudden, there's no turning back. You're not going to get to fight a Malcolm Gordon. You're not going to get to fight a David Dvorak or a fucking, uh, what's the name of the cokehead? Uh, a a Ronderos or anything like that. You're going to be fighting the real, real guys if you get past someone like Tagir And I think he's got the goods to do it. But I'm under no, you know, I'm not delusional. I know how good Tagir is. I know how tough of a fight this is going to be. And I know what kind of stakes are at hand here. So for that reason, man, Cody Dern is my fighter
1: to watch. I'm going to take the easy way out again. I got to go with Shavka because if you're watching this card to watch one fighter, it's got to be Shavka. And if he goes out there and just puts it on wonder boy, especially in the striking realm, then he's putting the whole division on notice. I mean, this guy's probably getting a title within the next year or two, like you said earlier. So Shavka looking forward to it. Always a possible fighter to watch anytime he's on the card. So can't wait.
0: Yes, sir. Well, Kyle Marley, we did it. It's going down this Saturday at the T-Mobile arena. In Las Vegas, Nevada, two title fights, a stacked card. UFC 296 is going to be one for the record books. And everybody listening now, thank you all so much for your support. This is not the last podcast of 2023 of Half the Battle. Because next week, we're going to do um, the year-end awards. You know, knockout of the year, fight of the year, submission of the year, the J-Pair and Jabber of the year, best bet of the year, all that. Like, we're going to do that show. I got Andrew Gombas uh, same guest I had last year doing the end of the year show. And then the week after that, I'm going to do my top 10 boldest predictions for 2024 with Liam, who has been my recurring guest for that show the last two years as well. So you guys got two more half the battle episodes to look forward to. Who knows? Maybe might throw another one in there. And I just want to say thank you from the bottom of my heart to everybody that's shown me love, shown Kyle love, shown the show love thank you. It really means a lot. And you know, I know 2023 wasn't my best year betting wise, but honestly, man, I don't feel like it was a bad year. Like just sometimes in gambling, things don't go your way next year. I'm really looking forward to the fact that we get three weeks off, get to refresh a little bit, not feel so burnt out and come back out there with a positive attitude and do really good in the coming year. And I'm looking forward to that. So Kyle, thanks again for your time. Everybody make sure you follow my boy.
1: And uh, until the next time, let's cash these bets.